in our time of prayer before the evening service that you're all very welcome to you every week as we meet just in the choir room. It was very significant as we heard the noise of the people coming in as you gathered into the room here tonight that we're just realizing that it's only whenever you realize that something might be taken away from you, you realize how precious it actually is. Because if we cannot meet like this over these next number of weeks, well, I think it's evident tonight how many people have made the effort to be here. So whenever those times come when we are free to meet, well, let's meet. Let's meet. Some of you will have seen my Facebook post that I shared on Thursday from a minister friend of mine in Scotland, the Reverend Robert McLeod. It was a very, very simple note, but it read like this. Dear everybody, since I've not pastored people through a pandemic before, I don't know all the answers, but I am paying attention to science and praying for wisdom. Together we'll take courage, be patient, consider the least of these, and press onward while loving our neighbors. Signed, your pastor. P.S. Wash your hands. And the reality of that note rings true tonight, doesn't it? I don't think too many of us have lived through a pandemic before. In fact, the last epidemic to hit Britain was that of the Spanish flu in 1918. And I know we've got some senior members here tonight, but you're not that old. We don't have all the answers. We're relying on advice from government bodies and various medical and scientific agencies. And oh, how we should be praying for wisdom and the medical staff and our hospitals and surgeries and nursing homes. Whether you are at school waiting to see what's going to happen to coursework and exams, a doctor or a nurse taking phone calls or responding to anxious patients under pressure and under-resourced, or an older person who come next week might feel very isolated, wondering if the virus will strike. Or someone with serious underlying health conditions who doesn't know how their immune system will be able to cope. Never mind, as I've been talking to this week, couples who have planned a wedding for April, or an employee whose work seems to have plummeted and his business is stretched. Or what about that long-awaited holiday that some of you were looking forward to and worked hard for all year? You feel cheated and frustrated because it just might not happen. All of us will have something that's troubling us tonight in relation to this outbreak. As various estimates across Europe suggest that between 50 and 90% of the population will be affected over time. Before we consider our personal and our corporate response to COVID-19, it's maybe worth considering that in our world today, according to the World Health Organization, every two minutes a child dies from malaria. And each year, more than 200 million new cases of that disease are reported. And although countries have dramatically reduced the total number of malaria cases and deaths since 2000, progress since the year 2000 has stalled. In fact, it's gone the other way. Worryingly, in some countries, malaria is on the rise. The Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that as many as 25,000 people lose their lives. I was staggered by this. 25,000 people lose their lives every day as a result of hunger. That means by the end of this year, 9.1 million people will have died of starvation in our world. That's only nine times the population of Northern Ireland will have died because they don't have enough to eat. And in the Yemen alone, 
that country where our dear Akdam people live that we've been praying for is a massive resurgence of cholera in what was already one of the world's worst outbreaks with more than 137,000 suspected cases and 300 deaths since the start of January. That's in Yemen alone. The people in Yemen are dying of a disease that was wiped out in Britain in 1893. And we live in a world that's not dealing with that. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is the concerns over COVID-19 are similar, but statistically speaking, not as deadly as how most of the world wakes up to every day. Not knowing if there will be food to eat or medicines to take. We are not in that 9.1 million who don't have enough to eat. We do not live in a country that is threatened by cholera. But the nervousness that we are feeling, many of us for the very first time in our lives, is a new experience for us in the first world. It just feels like these things shouldn't be happening to us. Why? Because we're the most privileged people ever to have lived in all of history. It's true. We are the most privileged people to have ever lived in all of history. And that's why it's hitting us so hard. Because we are now living as 90% of the rest of the world's population lives every day with a worry over how we're going to get through this. The reality is for all of us here today, we have never been threatened by this kind of rampant disease that threatens our lives or our businesses and our livelihoods. Not since the days of the troubles in Northern Ireland have we felt so concerned about something. But like these other viruses, COVID-19 is real and causing havoc across the world. And for now, it seems like we are in the calm before the storm. I thought it was really timely that on Thursday night that in our discipleship groups, we read from Romans chapter 8, verse 22, where Paul writes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right until this present time. In those verses, Paul is very realistic, isn't he? This world has struggled and grown since the ground was cursed in Genesis chapter 3 as a result of mankind's sin. Nature can be violent. This world can be dangerous. Accidents happen. Viruses can make you sick. All of this malaria, starvation, coronavirus is the world yearning, crying out for something better. It's evidence that something better is yet to come. Longing for a fresh start yelling and in agony at times that Jesus would return and make all things new just as he promised he would. If nothing else, COVID-19 is a stark reminder to us all or even a gentle nudge or encouragement to us as Christians that no matter how good life can be here and now, and let's face it, at its best, life can be great and exciting and exhilarating, but there will always be thorns. Always there'll be thorns. Let's go flick up the picture of the next chap. Who can tell me who that is? Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof is the Irish rock star who was part of the band known as the Boomtown Rats. And in 1984, he formed a supergroup Band Aid in order to raise money for the famine hit people of Ethiopia. And in 1985, he orchestrated Live Aid. I don't know whether anyone was at Live Aid. I know some people maybe were. A 12-hour music spectacular at Wembley Stadium featuring the biggest names in pop and rock music. It was an all-star concert like no one had ever seen before. All these stars were on the stage at the same time. 
He had rallied the forces of rock performers all over the world and inspired millions to raise money for the starving in Africa. But Bob Geldof entitles his autobiography, Is That It? The reason he's called the book about himself, Is That It? Is that after that 12-hour music extravaganza with the best entertainment provided, at the end of the concert, someone in the crowd shouted to Bob Geldof, Is that it? Is that it? The cheek of it, having been served up the best in live entertainment for 12 hours, having brought in the best entertainers from every corner of the world, someone had the cheek to shout out at the end, Is that it? Is that it? Now, you know, maybe in this life, some of us think a little bit like that. The things we look forward to most sometimes fail us. The plans we make can be scuppered. The world and all its calamities and viruses lead us as a people to collectively shout out tonight, is this it? Is this it? And of course, as God's people, we would all cry back, no, thank God this is not it. The dissatisfaction with this world is because we were built and wired for something more, for something better. A place called the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. A place where it won't be a case of, is that it? But wow, I've never seen anything like it. These episodes in our lives give us an opportunity to tell the world, this is not it. This is not it. Last week, one of Sashko's and Almanila Kirschmar's colleagues, some of you know them from those summer mission teams that we've sent over these last number of years, working with European Christians, one of their colleagues sent me an update from Italy. They had been in lockdown as a country for around 10 days now. And this came through, I think it's just fascinating. Vice Chairman of the Italian Evangelical Alliance, Leonardo, no, it's not DiCaprio, but it's close to Chicaro, lives in Rome, which is in a red zone, a total lockdown area. He says, very few people are around the city at the moment. People are restricted from going out and taking unnecessary walks or trips or journeys. He explained that people have to give a reason to the authorities for the, the fact they're even outside at all. It has been difficult to process many people around us, but people are beginning to appreciate the seriousness of the situation and they need to change their habits quickly too. 60 million people have been told to stay at home until the 3rd of April, except for work and emergencies. But Chikiro wants to remind Christians to have more faith than fear. He says, Often our challenges bring with them opportunities. We've never experienced a time of openness towards spiritual conversations as we've had in the past few days. Because people are struggling to handle fear, and anxiety, and despair, and that, of course, is a pain, but it brings opportunity for the gospel to be shared and lived out. Although we cannot go around to homes, that is not allowed. We can phone, we can use technology, we can try to stay close to people as much as we can, we respect the government's decision, and this is giving us opportunities for the Christian community to be a community that is close to people, as well as indicating the need for us to be hopeful, not on our own strength, but in God and God alone. He finishes off by saying this. We need to take advantage of this sad time to transform it into a time of grace by looking at things from another perspective, 
the need for our lives not to be dependent on our own safety zones, but on God and his word and his good news in Jesus Christ. He's saying like never before, he's having opportunities in Italy to share the gospel and people are in lockdown. Maybe that's just what we need for everything else in life to be stripped away that we actually get the chance to spend phoning people, emailing people, Skyping people, and saying, I've never had the chance to tell you, but you need to know the Jesus I know. People in Italy are being forced to ask of their lives, is this it? And the answer, of course, is no. There is so much more to life as we're confronted even by death. And so as we finish tonight, let me just leave you three things to think about. How do we respond to this as Christians? How should we respond to COVID-19? First of all, I suggest that we should be those who display Christian common sense. Christian common sense. In such situations, fear causes many problems, and one of them is the loss of ability to make wise decisions. So let's avoid wacky websites rumors from unreliable sources, and any information that begins with, they don't want you to know this, but... And one of the huge dangers of the internet and social media is that one side you have those who don't take the threat seriously, and on the other you've got those who are so self-opinionated but have no medical, scientific, or biological understanding. I mean, 15 minutes listening to Nolan the other day, hearing people's opinions about the coronavirus, was not only a waste of my time, but I think it was a danger to society. I mean, with respect, but who really cares what Gary from Glengormley or Mita from Malayle, never mind concerned Kira from Castle Wellen, really thinks about what the government should be doing whenever they don't even have a clue about what's going on. You see, everyone's allowed to be an expert these days, but very few of us are. So someone's need to wise up, and I say this lovingly, Shut up, because we're not experts. Christian common sense. I believe we have to trust, and yes, pray for those who advise us and govern us, but common sense suggests they want what's best for us. Instead, we need to listen to sensible advice from people who know what they're talking about, preferably the medical experts. It's also time for theological sanity and common sense. After all, the Bible is full of references for the fact that the thing we should be asking for most is wisdom. Let's resist those who, in the name of God, offers guaranteed protection or online virus exorcisms or those who will confidently explain where exactly these events are going to be placed in God's end-time calendar of history as it signals Jesus' return. Because if they know that, you're pretty good because Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. So resist all that nonsense as well. We need to remember what we face at the moment is no worse and probably a lot better than what most previous generations took for granted through the epidemics of flu and cholera and plague and the rest of history. It's important to remember that ultimately where it matters, COVID-19 changes nothing. It actually changes nothing. For we have received our orders from Christ we're to be as faithful followers and love God and our neighbor in all we do to show faith and hope and love. That is Christian common sense. And that dictates that we still go to our work until we're told not to. 
We still do our homeworks until we don't have to. We still do our duty until it's impossible to do so. Here's the second thing. I suggest that we remain calm. I suggest that we remain calm. We should be those who continue to do our duty. Whatever you're called to do, whether it be at home, at work, at church, at school, just keep on doing it. Much has been made in recent years of the wartime slogan. Many of you have seen this, haven't you? Keep calm and carry on. Hands up who's seen that in the poster, even in a, somewhere recently. And the people have changed it, and it's on, you know, it's on mugs, and it's on placemats, and people tinker with it to suit their whatever it is they're doing. Keep calm and carry on. That was produced during the Second World War. And as a result of that, well, it maybe helped a little. But the context was different. Because for the 500 years before the Second World War, Britain was a Christian country who knew what it was to keep calm and worship regularly and pray often. But stick that up now, and well, you've got no loo rules in Tesco, and you've got a few nappies on the shelves, and there's not much pasta knocking about. Why? Because we're no longer a Christian country. Everyone's in it for themselves. What can I get for myself? You see, that's what few observers have had the courage or insight to say, the attitude of keeping calm in a crisis, because those 500 years before the Second World War, they were a Christian nation. People who honored God, people who feared him. In the Bible, we read very little about staying calm, but we do read a lot about standing firm. Let me leave you three verses that tell us about how to stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Paul writes, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Ephesians 6, verse 13, he says almost the same. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Philippians 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm is a good command. We who have put our faith in Christ the rock have an important role to play in these dark and troubled days. We should be those who stand firm as fixed and unshakable points amid the chaotic sea of fearfulness. As Christians in the office, staff room or the hospital or the factory, we should be the calmest in those places because we have our feet on the rock and we stand firm because of Christ. Friends, let's be the ones who show stability in this time of chaos so that just like Paul and Silas in that earthquake, in that Philippian jail, someone in that moment of crisis might turn and ask, what must I do to be saved? Finally, and to be honest, this is the big challenge. I would hope that we seek to display the peace of Christ. Colossians 3 verse 15 tells us, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. That word's there twice. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. One of your callings as a Christian is to be someone of 
peace. And this serenity is the state of calm and peaceful, especially in the face of problems and crises. And you see what that verse says? Those of you who love your sport, and there's not much on it at the minute, so this is for you tonight. Let the peace of Christ, the Greek word there is umpire or referee your heart. Let the peace of Christ umpire or referee your heart. The peace of God is to be the one that rules us and enables us to make decisions like any sportsman as to where to stand on the lines marked out or what we can or can't do. The peace of Christ must dictate to us how we live. The peace of Christ must dictate our response to this crisis and COVID-19 because it's the peace that is one of the great blessings frequently promised in the New Testament. Given by God the Father through his Spirit in their hearts because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because as Philippians 4 verse 7 reminds us, and the peace of God which transcends all human understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, tonight may we all claim that promise of serenity and live it and share it. For the peace of Christ is very different from any other kind of peace in this world. In the hours before Jesus died, Jesus explained what it looked like. For he said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. That is why our peace is different. Jesus gives his people a special peace because he gives them a personal peace. It's not just a peace we experience when there's no conflict anymore. Well, that's the start of it for us as Christians. The enmity with God is now over. In this sense of peace, it's the wholeness. It's the complete totality. But even more, it is the presence of Christ in our lives. God is with us. That's what it is to have peace. And to know that. We say those words so easily, don't we? I was thinking about that today. God is with us. It comes off our tongue so easily. But when you stop and think about it, it's the most marvelous thing in the world. That whether you're lying sick or perfectly well or wanting to visit and encourage others, or going about your normal everyday life. For Christians, God is with us. It's marvelous, isn't it? God is with us. Can we say it together? God is with us. Now look around and say it some, to someone else. God is with us. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Jesus can be present with us because he is alive. If Jesus wasn't alive, if he was still dead in that tomb, he couldn't be with us. And what does that mean if he's alive? It means he's conquered death. And what does that mean for the Christian? It means that 
Folks, even if the worst should come to some of us as a result of this virus, he's with us and we're with him. Because God is with us. Because our Lord Jesus triumphed over the greatest virus that threatens any of our lives, the virus of sin that leads to death, the virus so dangerous, so debilitating, so damaging, he took it upon himself, he took all its symptoms, and he died because of it to free us from its long-term effects and deadly power, and that is peace, that is God with us. For my conflict with God is over, my sin has been dealt with, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in me, God is with us. And COVID-19 might strike and frustrate and disrupt and cause illness or even death. But those who are in Christ are to be ruled by the peace of Christ, which is the incredible eternal presence of Christ. As we finish off tonight, I want to read one passage to you, and I'm not going to comment much on it. If you have your Bible there, page 1006 in the church Bible, it's Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. Mark chapter 4 from verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and their waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus could have proved that he was in charge of the wind and the waves by standing on the shoreline and saying, stop, quiet, be still but he chose to be with them in the boat, in their storm. And he says, quiet, be still. And what's the big question that he asked of them at the end of the story? Do you see it there in verse 40? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Friends, the storm's coming. It's coming. But Jesus is with us in the boat. And he asks us tonight, where's your faith? Where's your faith? So what are we supposed to do? The answer is that we need to continue to live as the children of God. We need to put our trust and our hope in Christ and in the power of the Spirit, seeking to show sanity and stability and serenity in all that we live and say and do. And in doing so, may we, in the very deepest shadows that hang over us, shine brightly for Christ. And with that, let me finish with a story. When the early church father, John Chrysostom, was brought before the Empress Eudoxia, she threatened him with banishment if he continued to preach. You cannot punish me for this world as my father's house, said John. But I will kill you, said the empress. No, you cannot take my life, for my life is hidden with Christ and God. 
Well, then in that case, I will take away all your treasures. No, you cannot take my treasures. For my treasure is heaven, and my heart is there also. But I will drive you away from friends, and you will have none left. No, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you can never separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. You know, our greatest fear in all of this is our fear of losing out. For some of us, it might be losing business, losing leisure time, losing holidays, losing health, losing loved ones, losing our freedom to meet or whatever. Whatever it is we fear of losing most, that's what we treasure most. But people whose hearts have laid hold of Christ have a treasure this world nor the coronavirus can take from them. Christians are a transformed people. Ordinary, fun-loving, wholesome, likable, caring, careful, invincible people. Let's be those Christians here in our generation. For there's a certain book in the Old Testament. I think it's Esther. And I think we've looked at it a little bit recently. Where a very wise man of faith called Mordecai just happened to say to Esther, maybe you've been called to this place for such a time as this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge that you are the Almighty God that you order and control everything in heaven and earth. In your hand is the life and breath of each human in this human race. And so we cry out to you tonight, have pity on us as we do face this pandemic of great sickness. Lord, we have nothing to say for ourselves. We humbly confess that we deserve your reprimands because of our many national and personal sins. But we ask that you would spare us, that you're a good God. And Father, we pray that you would hear our cries on our behalf according to your mercies. But Father, when that storm does hit us, we pray that you would help us to have faith to not just say and not just imagine, but know that our God is with us. Father, do not deal with us as we deserve. We pray and plead that over time this pandemic would peter out. For those in our congregation who may go through health struggles in these next months, we pray that you would increase their faith for those of us who seek to support those in whatever pastoral or practical ways we can, Lord, enable us as a community to stand out from the rest due to our calmness and serenity and our peace because it's rooted in you. Above all, Lord Jesus, lead us to that true repentance. Increase our faith. 
Help us to stand firm. Help us now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep our hearts and guard our souls from the evil that we face. For you alone are worthy to be praised with our every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through a people like us, we pray. We ask all this in the name and through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is perfect peace. And so we fix our hearts on him.